Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a special, exclusive edition of FNO InsureTech with your hosts, Mr. Lee Boyd and myself, Rob Beller. And Lee, why is this a special episode? This is a big deal today. This is a big deal. Uh, We have Tom Super back on, second time he's been on. He's with the JD Power, and he is going to let us know a little bit of exciting news that involves InsureTech. Of course, we'll let him tell us, but it's a very exciting time for the world of InsureTechs. It it really is, and we're not going to spoil it in this intro, but we're going to tell you that an InsureTech has won an award from J.D. Power that I think might surprise you. Yeah. And we talk about not only how they did it, but what it means for the InsureTech world. It's a it's a bigger deal than I think we even realized. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Yeah, it's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Real big, big deal. Big deal. And we love having Tom on, and we'll discuss other insights too. But the big one is uh, you're going to have to listen for a couple minutes to hear why he's on for a special announcement about a particular J.D. Power Award. And so without further ado, why don't you go ahead, Lee? Why don't you say it? No, I'll let you do it, Rob. No, you no, always no. do it. Okay. We, yeah, we can't mess up the audience that way. Okay, good point. So without further ado, here's our interview and special announcement from Tom Super, Head of Property and Casualty Insurance at J.D. Power. Hey, everybody. We are here with a two-timer, you might say, second time on our podcast, Tom Super, head of PNC at J.D. Power. How are you doing, Tom? Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me back. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. We're doing terrific, even though I'm in smoky California. I have my oxygen hooked up, so I'm going to be okay. Um, Listen, we have a lot of ground to cover today. We're having you back for a second episode for a few different reasons. You're in such an interesting position. We wanted to ask you more information about what you do and how you do it, but we also have the privilege of being part of a very exclusive announcement today, actually, that just came out yesterday. We'll let you do the honors here and tell us what's going on. Thank you for that. We do. We have some breaking news on the InsureTech front. And as you mentioned, our first conversation is we thought of Robin Lee and making an exclusive announcement to you and your listeners. So this year, Lemonade has won the 2020 JD Power Award for the highest in home renter satisfaction. Wow. So we're very excited about that for them. It's the first year that they were profiled in the study and marks the first time that a InsurTech has won the JD Power Award. So kind of a big deal. Yeah, let's, let's dig into this. I didn't know that there is a separate renter satisfaction survey. Tell us about that. Yes, so we do. We release a number of surveys and studies throughout the year. 
This is falls within our home insurance satisfaction study. So when we go in the field and ask customers and consumers to partake in our study, we segment that by homeowners as well as renters. And based on market share, we include various companies based on that. So we profile the top market share providers for home insurance, and we do the same on the runner side. This is the first time that Lemonade was able to crack the market share bubble, if you will, and be profiled in this study. So they came out on top. Very, you know, what's, what's great is a lot of interesting insights have emerged along with not only their award win, but really some insight around their current business model and, and, and some things that we're seeing that are giving signals on potential growth opportunities for them. So some really interesting highlights to share. So this is the first time an insured tech has won a JD Powers Award. What does that mean for the rest of the insured techs out there? Does it mean like, hey, somebody broke the ceiling and now we have a chance? Is that is that kind of what we're seeing here? Yeah, the, the way that our methodology is conducted is it's based exclusively on market share. So they were able to generate enough PIF to be able to be included in this year's study. So we have, for a number of years, just been monitoring players like Lemonade, but they didn't generate enough consumers in order to gain enough share to be profiled. That has now changed on the runner market side. So once the insurtechs are able to generate enough business to break through that, the fact that they were not only profiled for the first time, but also ended up winning this year's study really speaks to what they've been able to do, what they've been able to achieve. And I think it does provide an indication to the rest of the marketplace that there is value in what the insurtech is bringing to the market in terms of not only innovation, but also being able to serve uh, sub-segments of the marketplace, the narrow niche market for which Lemonade has been able to deliver their products and services and the success that they've had with them. One of the really interesting takeaways from this win was that over 50%, 55% of Lemonade's customers reported only buying the renter's insurance because their landlord required Right. Mm. And that is significantly higher than the rest of the industry within the, uh, the rental insurance market. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't give an indication that they are filling a gap, right, in the, in the market where people were, may not have had insurance in the past. And there is this, this need here. What also signals is, you know, they might be choosing Lemonade not necessarily for, you know, the great insurance coverage, uh, quote unquote, but rather to, to solve a problem, you know, of satisfying a requirement by the market. So the survey measures satisfaction, correct? Absolutely. So let's talk about that for a second. What are they doing that's being so satisfying? I would say in what is it? Is it satisfied in claim payments and buying uh, just overall? Yeah, so some of the strengths from the results, and this is um, some analysis that probably won't come to much surprise for, for the way that they've positioned themselves in the marketplace, but for first-time insurance buyers that are seeking a digital experience, they do very well, way outranking a lot of the competitors. So 
those that are looking for that digital first interaction, they are dominating that market. A reflection of that, another kind of outgrowth of that is they've also designed their ability to bring new customers on in a very simple and intuitive way. So they scored very high when it came to things like quote satisfaction, being able to bind their policy, do all those things through the mobile first interaction methods that they've set up and done very well in, in each of those areas. And then the, the third major area for which they were able to distance themselves was around price competitiveness. So, mm. um, you know, we talked about the fact that they are serving this niche within the market that, you know, doesn't necessarily have very complex insurance needs, probably minimum coverage levels for, you know, I need to have my stuff covered because my landlord requires it. Those types of things, right, we tend to be in more urban highly dense uh, population areas, they're providing a base level of coverage at a competitive rate, really tapping into being able to provide coverage for people that may have not traditionally um, had had insurance in the past. And this is their first uh, foray into that. That is very exciting for them. It's a big deal, right? To be the first in the InsurTech space to win an award like this. You had said earlier that y'all had been watching Lemonade for some time, waiting for them to get the market share. Are there other insured techs y'all are watching closely, thinking that they might be able to pop on onto this list? We have been monitoring uh, players like Hippo and Slice for commercial side and some others. A lot of what we've been looking at are capability than B2C players. So Lemonade has been up far out front in terms of other insure techs when being able to generate enough business to, to get on our radar. But, you know, there has been a lot of disruption that is equally valued to the carriers within the industry from a B2B perspective that may not ultimately end up in our survey in terms of a ranking, but will be an interesting catalyst for allowing traditional carriers to better serve the customers in new and exciting ways. So, not only are we looking at it from a B2C perspective, but also the B2B impact as well. In part of this research and data, did it expose how it is in that in, insureds are finding Lemonade? I'm interested that, you know, somebody goes to an apartment, the manager says, sure, you can rent it. This is what you have to do. You have to have this. So they, they go out. I'm assuming that and, and you said it scores very high with digital first buyers that they probably go and they probably enter renter's insurance in the search. Did you track that at all? How are they ending up with Lemonade? How are they getting there? Two major areas. One is direct based search and things that you mentioned around being able to go out and type in rental coverage and having them pop up or going directly to Lemonade's website directly. But the other one is the largest influence, which is social networks. So Interesting. the word of among Lemonade, especially within younger consumers that are you know, concentrated in these large urban rental market communities, they've done very well and are you know, getting on the radar of mass consumers that live in these, these areas. Very interesting. And so social media might have played a role in their success or did. Yeah, I mean, I think social media, broadly speaking, the networks of, of friends and family and being able to uh, to leverage the word of mouth and the importance that that has. And 
you know, one of the things that we talked about even on the prior episode was, you know, the fact that insurance is becoming more of a consumer good. And, you know, what happens when that takes place? Well, the importance of reputation becomes paramount. And so when you can be top of mind and be um, hold a good reputation for, for the products and services that you offer, that's going to go a long way in a consumer-based economy. So they've done very well in that regard. Now, there are some, some headwinds that we have also highlighted and be happy to kind of get into that as well that we find yeah. really interesting. We're interested in discussion about what you guys found about their business model and their strengths, as well as maybe some challenges, you know, that they may have. So, you know, let's jump into that. Yeah. So one of the really interesting things to emerge, obviously, we talked about some of their strengths and what they've been able to do around, you know, being able to deliver to a younger consumer market, especially in these high, high dense urban rental markets. And a lot of things, if you've listened to the recent earnings calls and, and things like that, they've highlighted the the goal of being able to move up market or convert these consumers into longer term customers as they move to new product lines, right? And mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now is that you know the ability for lemonade to wow their customers through a exceptional customer experience is not necessarily materializing as of yet. Not to say that they can't get there, but one of the things that was highlighted as a common complaint among the consumers that we profiled and surveyed was their inability to get a hold of lemonade in order to resolve questions or or issues. Now, basically, right, the, the whole interaction is mobile, digital based, but as they not only look to expand within the renter's market itself, right? So beyond the low-end renter's market, like people that are just getting coverage for the requirement their, their manager may have, but also the higher-end market has more complex needs, or as they hope to shift even in the home insurance market, you know, those are significantly higher requirements that are require some level of higher customer interaction and service delivery if they hope to not only retain those customers but ultimately convert them into the uh, into the longer term business that they're hoping for I was just thinking I know that there's a lot of companies out there who say that they're number one on their individual JD Power award list how often is it that a company could come in and be number one and stay number one for an extended period of time? Is it often or, you know, every year is it somebody different coming in to be number one? We have found a lot of consistency within certain players and within portions of our study. And it, it kind of makes sense because those people, those carriers that do very well in certain areas have carved out niches for where they want to be successful and they deliver against them. This was, in fact, the first time that Lemonade was not only profiled, but they displaced Amika, who had traditionally won this award for for a number of years. Wow. So it is certainly a a very, very strong achievement for them. But it really goes to to the need to be able to understand your place within the market, where you're looking to... Uh, distance yourselves in terms of offering something in the market that your competitors cannot, and then delivering against that through execution. If you can get that right, you could stay at the top of our rankings for a number of years. 
So I, I want you to look in your crystal ball for a minute. You've addressed some of this, but so Lemonade wins Renter Satisfaction Award. What does that tell you about the next few years? What does that mean for the market that they've been able to do that? That's a great question. The rental insurance market, broadly speaking, has seen a revitalization. It'll be interesting to see the impact as a result of COVID and the impact that will have in terms of demand for, for rental. We have seen at the same time, due to government interaction and intervention, uh, the home market uh, go through a boom over the re recent months. This is due to lower interest rates and and other things that have allowed people to to move into homes. So, you know, th there's some interesting aspects to that. Um, you know, whether or not Lemonade is able to su sustain their success, um, it'll be interesting to see, especially as they, you know, look to broaden and grow their business. Are, will they be able to expand and, and be able to make the investments needed to be able to deliver against that? Or are they going to, you know, be limited to a sub-segment niche of the market for which they had traditionally entered? And are they going to be able to you know, scale up in a way that maintains that level of satisfaction as they grow? I think that's a big question for them. Well, the financial markets certainly think, certainly like the bet on lemonade. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, they, they you know, can't get into too much details there, but I think that yeah. Initial public offering caught a lot of attention mm -hmm. across the industry. It's given, given a catalyst for a lot of insure techs to think about doing the same. I think Duck Creek was another one that IPO'd recently on the back of the, uh, the SoftBank slash Lemonade IPO. And there's no doubt that there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, who will be next. We have, in fact been fielding an uptick in calls from the investment community around, you know, what is this thing around insure tech and is it something that we should be paying attention to? So, you know, <laughs> you know, we've talked about just the value for which Lemonade has been able to not only bring some much needed innovation to the market, but uh, it's now adding in new dollars and new yeah. dollars to be able to uh, see what other disruption can, can take place as well. So these are uh, interesting times uh, to be an insurance geek like, like we are. That's right. Given everything that's happening. So speaking of these times that we live in, let's, let's, let's move to COVID for a, for a few minutes and talk about, you know, carrier performance during the pandemic and just all kinds of issues around that. We're very interested about what you're seeing how COVID is affecting the market and the carriers that work in it. Yeah, so some really interesting takeaways. We just closed fielding earlier this week again. On, we've been out in the field since early March, monitoring consumer sentiment just around this crisis. And, and certain things have, have emerged that uh, are really interesting. One is the, the rebound of mobility. Um, it is now returned to pre-COVID levels. It had bottomed out in early April at about 50%, 55% give or take uh, of nor normal miles driven. What's also interesting is we also monitor through what is called a contact index, the number of how, how people are gathering or, or social distancing. So while people are on the move more, there still is a level of social distancing that, that is happening. Um, so people are not congregating in the same areas and and things like that, which is 
it has implications to the insurance industry because if you look you you look underneath those numbers, yes, people are are more mobile, but the way in which they're being mobile has altered. One is you know just the time of day for which they're driving, right? Off peak, more off peak hours. You're seeing less people driving during uh, high congestion areas, high congestion times where you would see you know, clusters of people together. You're seeing greater distancing. So you see the average miles per hour have ticked up. You've seen a decrease in the amount of hard braking, which is indicative of congestion. So the, the impact that that is having is, is really interesting to see that people are back on the move, but they're back on the move in a different way than what they were uh, prior to the crisis. Very interesting. Very interesting. The second um, takeaway has been the the premium relief efforts, uh, which are now winding down, had largely a limited impact in stemming dissatisfaction and retention within the industry. So the carriers gave away over $10 billion, uh, you know, in, a, in an act of, uh, of effort as to get keep the customers more loyal to them to drive higher retention. And ultimately what we're seeing is that it really didn't have as much impact as they had hoped. In fact, the overall level of satisfaction is 20% lower than it was before COVID. So even isn't that very significant? Isn't that a big number? It is a big number, and um, and you know part of that is you know they're making a greater connection between the miles driven and the amount of rate that they're paying for their auto insurance, right? So they kind of created a monster. They've created a monster in some ways, right? And mm-hmm. we've seen a significant uptick in people that are interested in in telematics for the first time. Uh, sure. Yeah. Right. As people are making that connection, okay, I'm not driving. Why am I paying these absorbent, you know, these really high rates for something that I'm not maybe using the way that I had in the past? You bring up a great point, and and I'll speak for myself. Um, you know, I'm sheltered in place. I'm working from home. My health club's closed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just not in the car anywhere near as much. And I'm sitting here every day looking at that car and looking at what I pay for insurance and thinking to myself, and they're sending me money back. And I'm also watching how I, I'm insured by a public company, the kind of money they're making. I'm thinking to myself, I have to be able to do better. It's worth shopping at this point in time. And they've kind of let the genie out of the bottle, right? They, told me that by giving me money back by saying I'm not driving as much. So that's bang on, right? It's two things. Those that are aware that there are relief efforts that were taken, 40% of the customers said they weren't, that wasn't enough to really relieve the financial pressures. So even what they've done, it was, okay, well, thanks, but not enough. But the other factor is the industry itself did a very poor job in making people aware of what they were doing. So what we found is that only 56%, just a little bit over half of consumers were even aware of the relief actions that were taken. So, you know, they're giving back this money and people don't know about it. We saw 
basically every carrier that we filed with the exception of one or two uh, have come out in a, in a worse position than what they went in. And uh, a lot of it was just, they didn't communicate in a way that, um, that would make people aware. And then the actions that they took weren't enough to be able to, 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 uh, to ease the financial pressures that, that people are under. You know, whenever I got my refund back, I got a small little note from my, my insurance agent saying, Hey, we're going to be refunding you this amount. Have a good day. And if I hadn't been in the industry and if I hadn't been reading, I would have no idea what it was about. I never put two and two together. And then I started reading. I said, oh, well, they're, they're actually late to the game. I assume they're only doing it because other people are doing it. But now I'm thinking, have they set a precedent moving forward that if there's, you know, maybe wildfires in California and people are driving less, you know, will they expect that their insurance company send them a refund for not driving? Or if another pandemic happens, right. will it be the expectation again? Right. That's what I wonder now. Or if driving patterns are altered even a little yeah by covid because the you're talking about this vast sum of miles right if you if you reduce it by 2% you're talking about hundreds of millions or maybe billions of dollars right tom oh absolutely i mean just a a 1% drop in frequency is a, is a windfall for the industry yeah. why they cut the checks that they did right i mean they knew that everything is predicated on we will have this much risk, this much loss at what cost it is to service. Sure. And when those fundamentals are altered, yeah, there's direct impact, no doubt. You know, I always say it, I say it often, and it's from the Broadway musical Wicked that, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And here it is, some, you know, some people trying to give back, <laughs> give back. And here we are saying, well, look what you did. You messed it all up. But, you know, I, I do think that the refunds were a positive. It was a step in the right direction, but it is interesting that the ramifications of that are going to be seen for quite some time. Yeah, it's one of the other really interesting takeaways from this is that people are experiencing a crisis very differently. And, you know, we've, yes. we've heard this term externally, so I'm not going to say that we coined it, but, you know, you hear about a V-shaped recovery, you hear about a swish and all that. We're seeing more of a K-shaped recovery, which is there are some people that, have been that greatly affected. They're still driving the miles that they did before. And then there's people on the other side of the, the K, the leg, if you will, yeah, have had their incomes in, impacted severely, are trying to make that connection of why am I spending for car insurance when I'm not driving it as much? And as a result, we've seen the industry not be able to, not really deliver against being able to provide the personalized services and coverages that those customers have come to expect. You know, in fact, we found that most agents have actually performed underperformed during this crisis. In the direct brands, some of them were able to repurpose their call centers in an outbound fashion to be able to call people in a way to say, you know, we're here for you. We understand, you know, what are things that we can do to, to help mitigate the fact that you're driving less, maybe suspend your coverage, those types of things. But, um, you know, it's an interesting time. The industry has never gone through anything on this scale or magnitude right. before. And their reaction to it was to write everyone a check. And it may have had a, uh, you know, an unintended deleterious effect that, uh, that they're going to be working through for some time. Absolutely. Let's talk about 
the top carriers, the carriers that appear on your list time and time again. And as we've mentioned to you before, that we work for many of these companies. What are the data points that you see that keep these these companies on the top? I'm thinking that in some cases it may just be scale, name recognition. What do you find about that? It's a great question. We've been having conversations around what it takes to be you know, kind of successful within the modern insurance space. And when we look across our studies, we have different companies doing well in different areas. So those that have strong digital interactions tend to do obviously well in our our digital-based studies. And those with maybe an agent preference do well, obviously, in those. You know, when we look at it, broadly speaking, there's three components around being successful within the modern market. And those three elements are what we call validation, value, and execution. If you do those three things well, you're going to have a fighting chance not only doing well within the market, but also doing well within our study. So let me talk a little bit of what we mean by each of those. So validation, this is something that we have talked a little bit about, which is that understanding where you're at in the marketplace and what exactly your target market is and being able to deliver against that, right? So understanding what is the compelling offering that you have to the market, right? We just talked about Lemonade. Lemonade is doing a very good job of serving a subsegment of the market, of the runner's market today, and doing very well at meeting those expectations. You can make an argument for, for others, and as a result, they, they won our, our award. So under first one is just the validation, right? Stand for something for which you, you are allowed to separate yourself from the competition for, for and, and align yourself to that target. The second is value. Something we alluded to on our, on our first conversation, which is the increasing influence of price within the market. And if you're not in the ballpark on price today, and it could be, you know, various ends of the spectrum, right? It could be the affluent market, let's say Chubb, all the way down to a non-standard, you know, based on the first aspect of understanding where you're at in the market. But if you are not competitive on price within your desired target market, then you're going to have a bit, you're going to have a difficult time. No doubt. In fact, some things that we, we see that are underpinning that one is the rising cost of insurance, right? That it's just on an upward trajectory. And we're also finding a diminishing willingness among consumers to pay a premium for quality. In fact, almost 80% of customers said that they were unwilling to pay a premium for quality. So what that means is that value being being in the ballpark on, on that price aspect is, is really important. And the third is, is execution, right? So understand where you're at in the market, be competitive when it comes from a, from a pricing perspective. And then third is delivering against that, right? So don't make a a message around something that you're not or something that you can't deliver to. So whether, you know, whether it's um, you're looking to lead from a price-based perspective, if you're looking to have the best uh, services and products, whatever that is, aligning those three dimensions of validation, value, and execution are things that allow you to propel yourselves, not only in terms of gaining market share, but allow you to do well within the JD Power rankings as well. So I have a question for you on value. You said that customers aren't willing to pay for quality. You know, it's funny on insurance, you know, how people 
define quality. I mean, like, I, I don't know, like in cars, you know, you have Chevy quality and you have Mercedes quality and most people can understand the difference there. But is there State Farm quality and hippo quality? I mean, it's isn't it harder to judge? I, I would think that most people look at insurance as more of a commodity item. Isn't that the case? But you're saying it's not. Well, it, it's not a pure commodity, but the auto insurance market has moved in that direction. Uh, there's no doubt. Right? So if it was a pure commodity, then the lowest price would always win. And we don't see that. Right. So, and, you know, whoever it would be a, a kind of a, a suspect type of agency could, you know, uh, price and be able to win the market. So it, it's not a pure commodity. But is it trending in that direction? We are seeing a significant trend towards that for two reasons. One, just the cost of insurance continues to get higher and higher and price becomes a, a bigger factor. But the second aspect, which is, I think that the core of your question between, let's say, someone like State Farm and Hippo, is that there really lacks a great deal of differentiation among the, the various insurance carriers for which the end consumer can see and experience. Uh, you use the example of, you know, of a Chevy versus a Ford. Well, you can get in a Chevy, you can drive it, uh, you can see if it handles well, you can see if you like them. It's tangible. That's right. Yeah. You know, insurance is based on a future promise of service delivery that you hope to never be able and never have to use. Um, so, yeah. and when you interact with them in the few occasions that you do, right? So insurance remains a very low touch, low engagement category where you only interact with your customer a few times a year. And those interactions are, are largely undifferentiated against the market. So if I interact with with brand X or brand Y, I'm getting a very a somewhat similar experience, uh, you know, outside of the carrier that, that carriers are saying, why should I be paying a lot more for something that I can't see a, a huge difference in? So we were just talking about auto companies and it made me think, you know, on every auto commercial, you see J.D. Power's winners. You know, some of them are having tire, you know, multiple commercials around winning J.D. Power awards. We don't always see that in some of these other industries like insurance. I've been to insurance carriers offices where they have some awards, but you don't always see it on every single commercial. Is there a reason for that? I mean, do, do some industries value it more than others? That's a great question. So, you know, across the various different industries, there's there's different elements of the awards for which competitors like to be able to position themselves in the marketplace. The current effort within the, within the auto insurance market has been around price leadership. And a lot of what the J.D. Power Award does reaches beyond that, reaches beyond things such as the lowest price in the market. Uh, we don't have an award for saving you 15 minutes and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. We have a evaluation of who is the best in these various categories. So based on what the industry is and what aspects they're competing on at the current moment, and as you rightly pointed out, things around auto, you don't see similar price-based messaging within OEMs, right? You won't see Chevy or Mercedes or Volvo or whoever it may be say, we, you know, cheap, 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 save, save, save. It's around the experience that you get, the whatever that is. And in, in that regard, J.D. Power provides a, a broader set of insights that that allow you to be able to uh, look at that and, and promote that to your to your end 
customers. So what our evaluation does is adds a lot of value from a, you know from the business perspective, carriers improving what they offer the market. But it, right now, that is not the pivot point for which they're marketing for business in today's auto insurance market. Speaking of various companies, I want to just hit quickly as we round the bend towards the finish line and talk about partnerships that J.D. Powers has. I know that you guys are in a pilot with dealer policy. Can you take a couple of minutes and share with us why that stuff like that is important to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we have undertaken is looking on ways to unlock the underlying value of the data that we're collecting and making that more available. As you rightly pointed out, the partnership that we have with dealer policy is one of those. And uh, in fact, we've had a number of conversations and, and, and would encourage folks if they see uh, the applicability of using uh, unique customer-based uh, experiences to fuel either their underwriting or anything around their wanting to be able to provide a more personalized and customized experience, we're exploring that and moving down that road. And the deal itself with uh, dealer policy is what we call our GD Power Intelligent Match solution. So what that is, is uh, dealer policy is a network, is an MGA that's net- networked through uh, dealer dealerships across the, the U.S. And when you go in to buy a vehicle, they sit down with you and offer you an opportunity to, to buy an insurance product. And we partnered with them uh, to be able to provide a mobile-based solution for where customers can select what aspects of insurance are most important to them. And then it basically generates a ranking that is the best match for what they're looking for. So if they're looking for a carrier that is very good on price, those that are very good on claims, that are very good on service, and there's a number of different things for which they can rate what their preferences are, we then provide essentially a a match for them based on what they're looking for. Why we're excited about this is these are the types of things that we traditionally have not spent a lot of time focusing on within within JD Power as we you know work mainly for looking at uh, at rankings and awards, but underlying that is really a lot of information and data around consumer preferences, what they want, what works best for them, and we feel like by making that more broadly available, it will be not only provide a unique experience for customers that they haven't had in the past, but also help carriers as well be able to align solutions that would drive higher retention, align with things that customers expect and what could keep them with you for a longer period of time. So a lot of things in the pipeline around what are the things that we can do to start making the data more available and more accessible, and that's just one example. Yeah, I think that that's very exciting. I got on their website earlier this morning. I was looking and it looks like a lot of promise there. You know, and as we get closer to wrapping up here, I want to ask you about your, you know, your thoughts on insurance and insurance uh, technology in the future. What does the world of insurance and insurance tech hold in the next two to say five years? Let me provide you a couple of signals that we're seeing, right? So first is, there is a near-term rotation to value to price, right? So there is, what is really interesting uh, question for you is, do you know which state right now has the highest rate of shopping? 
I do not. Well, it's it's Michigan. And Michigan, the reason that is they recently changed their no fault auto policy. And that has caused people to reevaluate their insurance coverages and ultimately bring that rate down to where they can save money. And we have seen progressive uh, in particular do very well within the most recent weeks. And we're monitoring this in real time in, in terms of, uh, of taking share within the state of Michigan. So yeah, there is, has been a near-term rotation of value, especially with everything that we talked about earlier around COVID and the impact that that's having on, on consumers. But you know, more, more broadly speaking, a couple of trends. One is that you know, insurance itself is getting faster, easier, and more accurate. Faster in the sense that you know, things that used to take days are now happening in hours or even seconds, right? The, we talk about Lemonade, their ability to process a claim, you know, they've highlighted, right, for their ability to do that with a pretty low complexity product and be able to make the customers whole there. Uh, uh, progressive, what they do, what they've launched, like Homeport Explorer, um, where, you know, you could go on and, and be able to, to get a home insurance quote, uh, from the comfort and convenience of your home and do that relatively quickly. So just things are speeding up. Things are getting faster. We're seeing things like Kin where you can get insurance in a couple of clicks and there's a lot of movement around that. Easier in the sense that things that, you know, just were more uh, labor intensive are now happening digitally, right? I know you guys are on the claim side, did a lot of work there. Things like photo estimation and, and the impact of that you know, certainly having across the industry. And then the accuracy aspect, things like um, UBI, right? You can, we can now price risk down to a matter of minutes if we want to, based on how many miles did you drive today or where were you driving or, uh, you know, the manner in which you're driving. So the, those things are certainly trends that we see continue to accelerate in in the near term, you know, next couple of years. Now, the last point that I, I would, you know, I've been a big advocate around, which is the autonomous vehicle disruption. And in our estimation, it is happening now as much as as much as it's going to be impacting in the years ahead. And so, some of the things that we're already seeing uh, is the spikes that it's having on severity costs. So, your ability to mm repair vehicles, find the right parts to be able to do do that and make that whole. Also, you know, people talk about level five, the full, everyone thinks about autonomy around, you know, without a steering wheel where the car drives itself. But in our estimation, mm-hmm. interesting and probably the most compelling is going to be the navigation between now and level five. What, what happens when you're driving down, you know, the street and you get in an accident and um, you take it to a repair shop, and how do you know that that vehicle was that sensor was repaired correctly? Mm. You leave that auto shop. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. find out you, the hard way. You find out the hard way, right? So, in the in, in what happens if you get in that next accident and your vehicle is autonomous, but the other one not, or it has some feature, or it didn't misfunctions? There's a lot of interplay between where we're at today and once we get into the future kind of, you know, Jetson's environment where everyone's driving around uh, autonomously, that has implications for the industry now and it's already driving up 
uh, costs on the claim side, and and certainly uh, we're already seeing things on the underwriting side as well around the behaviors that they have and the impact that 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 has on, on rates and, and the like. So, uh, you know, those are the things that we're monitoring, and uh, certainly a very exciting time, and uh, no doubt a lot of disruption that is happening both in the near term around some of those things, but also you know, longer term, the impact that those things will have in the market as well. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today, but the next time we really want to start to pick your brain about um, some of the different business models, like, like Lemonade, like we hit on today, the different business models for insurance into the future and which can be winners and losers. We recently had Tim Atia on from Slice Labs very interesting in just kind of relooking at how insurance is. And, and like we hit on today, the insurers kind of opened the door by giving us refunds and letting us know that the less you drive, the less risk you have. So maybe we should look at this very differently. And I think that's one of the things that data is doing for the industry as well as the consumer is opening up new and different possibilities for the future of insurance and insure tech is going to follow right behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we welcome the opportunity to continue this conversation. There is a lot of different elements and we can go down a mile deep in any one of these. We've kind of touched on it at a, uh, at a higher level, some of the implications, that right? Be, but each of these elements, you're absolutely right. is going to shift the industry in a way that, um, uh, that InsurTech, you know, it, it's a great time to be an InsurTech because uh, the level of uh, the industry is ripe for disruption because of these environmental conditions, as well as um, the, the demand for consumers to, to, to want something more. So I, I'd welcome the opportunity to have, to have that conversation. Well, you can count on it. Careful what you wish for, for we'll make it come true. And uh, we thank you once again. Thanks for sharing your special announcement with us today and with our audience. And we'll look forward to it next time, Tom. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You know, Lee, when we started our podcast, you know, a, a, over a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. I would have never guessed that we would have a exec from J.D. Power on to d- debut some big news about the insure tech space. I, I couldn't even have dreamt about that, but that was really cool. I mean, that's kind of a big deal for us. Yeah. It's a big deal for us. I mean, it, it's a big deal for, for us. And I'm very excited about it because I'm with you, Rob. I am a year and a half ago. I'm thinking about this podcast and yeah, we can tell a little bit about what we've learned and talk to some neat people, but it's starting to, to become more. It's starting to become a place where people go to get information. In fact, uh, along with this uh, announcement of the first time an InsureTech has won a JD Power Award, I mean, we've actually talked to people who have who have met investors, right? Entrepreneurs who have met investors, and and connections have happened throughout yeah. the podcast. It's right. not just information anymore. Like this is a place where people can go and get actionable information where they can right. maybe make an investment or right. learn about a new company. It's, it's a very exciting how this podcast has taken a life of its own. Right, right. And great example is today we get an exclusive on the fact that Lemonade, one of the preeminent 
insure tax without, I don't think anybody would argue that, wins the J.D. Power Award for highest in renter satisfaction, which is, uh, it's a big moment right. for the insure tech world that that level of historic legitimacy yeah. is now been pierced by an insure tech. Yeah. And just as, just as Tom said, it's, you know, you have to have enough of the market share, which means that an insure tech now has enough of the market share that they can even be eligible. And now that they're eligible, they won the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an exciting time for insured techs. It's an exciting time for, for everybody because as additional competition comes into the field, everyone will have to up their game. Right. Uh, those who have been on the list are going to have to up their game to, to get back on it or get to the top again. So it's good for us as the uh, consumer, and it's a very exciting ride to watch. Yeah, and we're, we're super grateful for Tom for not only being with us, but for his continued support of our podcast and we look forward to having them on again maybe with the next big piece of news on the next list that comes along so please make sure you tune in and join us and as we slowly approach our hundredth episode check out some of the other stuff in our catalog we have a really big catalog now with scores literally scores of interviews with people from all over the insure tech ecosystem which is what we do and we couldn't do it we couldn't get it done without Aldrin Muya, our technical producer, and Alicia Moss, our content producer. Big, big thanks to them. Say thank you, Lee. Thank you. Thank you all so much. For all they do, because we, you wouldn't be listening to this if it wasn't for them. That's right. Plain and simple. And so we'll say to you what we always say at the end. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>